Welcome to Willard Church of the Nazarene. We're glad you're here. We can't wait to share the service with you. Let heaven and earth proclaim this is our God, King. 
again, thank you so much for having me today. My name is Ashley Morrow, and I'm actually I'm from Norwalk, so I'm not too far away. And I had the honor of sharing my testimony here with the Celebrate Recovery Group a while back. So it's a blessing to be here. Um, so I thank you. I hope this is going to be a blessing to you tonight. I have my amazing husband over here. He is super supportive, um, so I'm thankful for him today. And I got my mama back there, uh, my good friend Kate. So we go to the Norwalk Gathering um, in Norwalk, and so I kind of brought a little crew with me. Um, Okay. See, now I get nervous. So now I'm sweating. So... (laughs) Don't mind my shaky voice. Just give me a second. But um, we're going to open up in prayer, if you don't mind. We prayed a lot today, but there is power in prayer. And I would like to go before the Lord before I really open my mouth. So, oh, Heavenly Father, Lord God, I just, I thank you for this day. I thank you for this church. I thank you for every person, Lord God, that you have brought through these doors today. I thank you for the opportunity to stand up here, Lord, and and share your word, but share your power and who you are, Lord. It is a humbling, Lord God, experience. It's a blessing that I do not take lightly, but Lord God, I pray as I stand up here that you hide me behind the cross. Lord God, that I would just be an absolute empty vessel for your spirit and your word to speak through, Lord God. Empty me of myself be glorified today. May you soften hearts. May you open eyes to see, Lord God. May you bring dry bones to life, Lord. Breathe on this place. Pour out your spirit, Lord God, in a mighty, powerful way, I pray. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. Um, okay, so I am going to share my testimony a little bit, but um, we are going to start with scripture. There is nothing more important. Um, so, I'm going to read, it's quite a bit of scripture, but I feel the Lord, um, as I've been praying and seeking the Lord before I was speaking this week, so he brought me to John 4. John 4 is one of my favorite stories in scripture, and I think it relates to the testimony of my life that I'm going to share with you all very well. So it's going to kind of set the stage. Um, So we're going to be talking about, real quick, we're just going to go through, actually most of chapter 4 briefly. And the woman at the well, Jesus and the Samaritan woman. This is one of my favorite stories. My husband and I were just talking about it the other day because when I read this story, I see myself. I see myself very clearly, and I'm sure many of you can see yourself in the story as well. So here, chapter 4, verse 1, we're going to start. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, Although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, I'm not sure if I pronounced that correctly, near the field that Jacob had given his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealing with, dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it was that was saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. 
The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us this well and drank from it himself and as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never thirst again. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty and, or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one that you are now with is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is here now when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. And when he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Just then when his disciples came back, they marveled that he was talking to this woman, but no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come and see the man who told me everything I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of town and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to each other, has he, anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to him, said to them, my food, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do not say there are yet four months when then comes the harvest. Look, I, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are right for, right, white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for the eternal life so that the sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that, reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into that labor. Verse 39, many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. Oh, I know that was a lot of scripture, but it's very powerful. There's a lot of powerful truths in that scripture. Um, we're going to revisit here, it here in a minute as the Lord leads. Um, so I share that because as I share my testimony, it's going to, again, you'll see how this really relates. And I, again, I hope and I pray that um, you may see yourself also as we see the Samaritan woman, this no-name, sinful woman, this outcast of society, but how we have a Lord that sought her. A Lord that where it says in verse, was it verse four, where he had to go through Samaria. He didn't have to. Jews never did. If we know this story, we know Jews went out of their way, crossed the Jordan twice, just not to go through Samaria. They didn't want to associate with those people. But it says, scripture said, Jesus had to. Why did he have to? He had an appointment with this woman that has no name. So again, 
I'm from Norwalk. I was actually born and raised here. Um, I was born in Delphi. I started my journey in Delphi, Ohio, so not too far from here, right on Route 224. I lived there until I was about in fourth grade. Um, And then we moved up to Norwalk. My upbringing was... um, and my mom's heard me share this story multiple times, and she's lived it. Um, she's a cr- like a crucial part of my story, so that's why I'm really thankful that she's here today. Um, but my, gro- my, my childhood was dysfunctional, and that might be putting it lightly. So, um, which I mean, many of you probably can relate, growing up to, in a dysfunctional household. Um, and so my mother, she's, she's an amazing woman. I grew up with a very strong mother with a strong faith in Jesus who would take us to church every Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday nights at Shiloh. We, we went to a little church in Shiloh. And, uh, and Wesley and ba- Wesleyan, E. Wesleyan Evangelical. Wesleyan Evangelical. Yeah. And uh, so that's where I grew up. And that's where I came to know the Lord at a really, really young age. And my mom was faithful in that. And she really raised us on, on her own because my dad was a drug addict and he was an alcoholic. He like to run with women a lot. So there would be, we would go to church like on a Sunday morning and a Sunday night and we would go to Sunday school and we would go to church camp and we'd have all these things. But then in between all of that, we would have moments where um, my dad's gone for weeks on end and my mom is an emotional wreck and then he's breaking, trying to break in the house because she's locked him out because this is the 50th time he's done this and just this dysfunction. And the things that my father exposed us to at such a young age are also some things that just are, are unspeakable. So I grew up in like, these two worlds that were complete opposite. But I'm so thankful as these children like sat up here today, like I'm so thankful for those seeds that were planted in my heart at such a young age that I didn't know were so important at that time and how they would have played a role into the rest of my life as I, was, as I would grow up. So, so we actually, we grew, again, we, we moved up to Norwalk when I was about in fourth grade. Um, because my dad uh, moved us up there. He had some businesses up in the Norwalk area, and so he said, okay, we're taking you out of South Central. We're moving up to Norwalk. And so we, we transferred, and we started going to St. Paul School, Norwalk Catholic. And uh, that was when I was in fourth grade. But shortly after we moved up to Norwalk, um, which I thought was like, okay, it was, very, it was a hard transition, but I'm like, maybe this is a fresh start. I always had this hope that like, maybe the insanity would end one day, that maybe things would be okay with my parents, and like, I could have a normal life. Um, and I thought maybe that was the time, but unfortunately it wasn't, and things just got worse when we moved to Norwalk. That's when my dad's you know, drug use and alcohol use got worse. That's when um, his, his illegal behavior came to light, um, and my dad ended up being charged and sent off to prison for a few years for some illegal activity that he was doing through his business. Um, and that was, that, that was a really difficult time in my life. I was in fourth grade, and my parents are now divorcing. When he's going to prison, he had another girlfriend, so my mom's like, I'm leaving him now, so I'm seeing my, watching my parents divorce. I'm watching my dad go to prison. I'm in this new town, and I just feel completely out of control. And that's when I really started at a young age. I was like, I don't want to feel pain anymore, so I just shut down. I retreat, and I shut down. How can I just not feel anymore? Um, and I, re- I recognize that, like looking back, of like that became my coping mechanism. If I can just numb myself and pretend like it's not there, it can all just go away. But it didn't. And uh, shortly after that, that's when I started really acting out. I started getting really rebellious. I was a horrible child. 
Like I was like rebellious times 10, probably, if you ask my mom. I don't even know if I could be like described as rebellious. <laughs> so I, like I started smoking, started smoking cigarettes. I started drinking alcohol at a really young age. Um, I got to the point where actually when I was at St. Paul's, I just didn't want to, they, they, they had rules, like you even had a dress code. Nobody's going to tell me what to wear. Like, I was just that like, person. And so, like, then I left St. Paul's and I went to Norwalk because I'm like, I don't, they have less rules over here. They have less rules and nobody's going to tell me what I can wear and nobody's going to have their eye on me. I'm sick of people watching me. And, and, and nothing got better, obviously. And so I was, I was a runner from a young age where I'm uncomfortable here and I'm not happy here, so I run. If I'm feeling pain here, I'm going to run here and this is going to take it away. I just never could face what I was dealing with. So any way, shape or form I could get away from it, I did. And so that was a habit of my life. So I transferred from St. Paul over to Norwalk because Norwalk was going to fix it now. Norwalk was going to be better for me. Um, This was my sophomore year of high school and it did not get better. This is where my drinking became out of control to the point I was drinking vodka before I even had to go to school that day. We would, me and some friends, we would sit in the car and drink vodka and orange juice because you couldn't smell vodka on your breath. That was our reasoning, thinking we could again get away with it. Um, but then I got to the point where I'm like, I don't even want to go to school anymore. So then I'm skipping class all the time. Um, I'm, I'm now I'm doing marijuana, I'm smoking cigarettes constantly, and then I'm drinking probably almost every day, all trying to hide this from my mom. But my mom was a single mom raising four kids. I have two older brothers and a younger brother, four kids on her own. So she's like going to night school, having three part-time jobs. And so she, she was busy. She was doing the best that she could. And so I was just, I was out of control. I was a broken child that was trying to fill this brokenness inside of myself in any way, shape or form. I was doing it through the alcohol. I was doing it through drugs. I was doing it through friends. I was doing it through boyfriends. What is going to fill me? I didn't know. And so I was just searching for anything to fill me. My sophomore year of high school, I ended up getting pregnant. And, um, and in my head, I mean, I was terrified, absolutely terrified. And then I got to tell my mom, um, my mom, bless her heart, she was just like, I was hysterical in front of her. She was like, it's, it could be worse. Like, it's going to be fine, Ashley. It's going to be fine. And I'm like, okay, okay, it's going to be fine. And, uh, and I embraced it. And it was during that time that like, I'm a sophomore, I'm pregnant. I don't want to be the pregnant girl in school. So then I'm like, I'm going to homeschool, you know, but I had zero discipline for that. So that failed royally. But it was during that time that I had every friend leave me. My boyfriend at the time, he left me. Nobody wants that pregnant girl around. And so I, I was determined. I'm like, okay, fine. I mean, I'll raise this baby by myself. I was 17 years old, um, but I was, I was determined, and I was, I was going to have this baby. Um, and this baby was going to fix everything for me. It was the missing link to fill me. I was going to have a baby that was going to love me and never leave me, and he was going to be mine. So... Um, some things happened during, um, during my pregnancy that led to me being, I was six months pregnant uh, when I started uh, bleeding out at my home. And it was, my mom was there. Um, and I just remember screaming for her from the bathroom because I didn't know what was going on. I was a young girl. I was 17. I was six months pregnant, but I just knew something was wrong and it wouldn't stop. So she rushed me, rushed me to the hospital and um, the, the doctor looked at me and he was just like, no matter what, your baby's, your baby's going to die. So we can either induce you or you can do this naturally, but either way, your baby's not going to live. 
And I just remember looking at him like, what do you, what do you mean? He's moving. He's kicking. He's named. <laughs> I have his nursery. Like, already, what do you mean? And, and um, he said, no, your, ba- your baby's not going to live. And so I was like 17 trying to process that in my head. Um, so I'm like, I guess, induce me. Um, he induced me, but it still took three days of labor. So I spent multiple days in the hospital knowing that my baby wasn't going to live when he, like, when I had him. And that was, that was, that was horrific. Um, I remember having him and my brother Jason was on my side holding my hand. And after I had him, it was just like there was something that came over me. I was so angry with God. So angry with God. I was so filled with pain again. I was like, I'm so tired of feeling pain. I'm so, I feel like my whole life has been pain. It's been disappointment. It's been emptiness. It's been rejection. It's been abuse. It's been something like I'm just so tired of it. So I left. I remember leaving the hospital. I went back to the house. I was living with my mom. And um, I kind of shut myself away for a while to try to process what happened. And um, when I came out, it was like, I was like on a mission I'm never going to feel again. I don't want to feel anything anymore. I'm so tired. I'm so tired of it. And that's what I did for years after that. I, um, I quit school completely. So my, my last year of school was really my sophomore year. Um, I ended up going back and getting my GED years later, but... Um, it was my sophomore year and, um, I, I started running. I ended up getting so out of control. My mom had to tell me to leave. She was like, leave. Like, I can't take you in this house anymore. Just go. So I did. And I was like, that, that was the, that was a saving grace for me. Fine. Tell me to leave. Like, cause that's what I want anyway. I want to be grown. I don't want anybody telling me what to do. I want to be on my own. I want to make my own decisions and live my life the way that I want to. And so that's what I did. I went and I moved in with somebody else that was much older. Um, it was actually my dad's ex- girlfriend at that time. And, um, and then I quickly found my drinking started right back up, started drinking super heavily. And one day while I was at a party at one of a friend's house, who was like, I was 17, they were like 25. I mean, that's who I was hanging with at that time. Um, I was drunk, obviously. And they had, they were smashing up pills on a, on a uh, table and they were all passing out straws, and it was just like a, a normal thing. And they were like, hey, you want to do it? And I was young, and I was like, didn't want to look uncool. So I'm like, yeah, of course. So I took the straw, and I did what was in front of me. And I'm not realizing I've never done, I've never done a Percocet before. And that started my opiate addiction. I remember taking down that line of Percocet, and the first rush, the first feeling I had, it was like, this is what I've been searching for my whole life. I don't feel a thing. I don't feel anything anymore. I don't feel pain. I don't feel sadness. I don't feel emptiness. I don't feel anything. It was like, that was my solution. And that started my drug addiction for years to come. So going from there, I, I didn't know at that time what that would have done, what that was going to do to my life. I thought I was having fun. I thought I was partying with the, friend, with the friends that I was hanging out with. And I thought I was just doing something that just made me feel really good. But it was only a sh- few short months and I'm going through withdrawals when I don't have my pills. And it quickly went from 
um, it was Vic- there's Vicodin, there's Percocet, there's Oxycontin, anything that I could get my hands on, I was taking. And I was completely consumed by it. Um, then it, there came to the point where I'm like, I, I needed to get away. I needed it to, to um, I, was, I wanted to do like a geographical change again, you know, because something's always going to change because my addiction's getting out of control. So that's got to change. And that never worked. Anything I tried to control my addiction or to fix me or to film me never worked. Um, shortly after I found out, I was 18, I found out um, I was pregnant again. And I was like, oh, goodness gracious, my mom's going to kill me because... That's like two times in the last two years. Here I am, I'm pregnant again, and I don't want it. I don't want to have a baby. Like at this point, my first pregnancy, I was scared, but I was ready. At this point, I'm like, no, I have my whole life, and I want to have fun, and I want to do this, and I want to do that. And I remember I was being approached by a lady, and she, um, she, she brought up the topic of abortion, to have an abortion. And I remember sitting in this pizza place, and I was like, she's like, I've had multiple of them had multiple, and you're going to be fine, and you just have this baby. You get pregnant when you're ready. And I'm like, maybe she's right. Maybe she's right. I can't do this. I can't do this. And I really wrestled with it, and I really considered aborting. And then I just, my mom's words rang in my head, and I'm like, I got to call my mom. (laughs) I have to call my mom. And what do I do? I call my mom, and my mom's like, Ashley, it's fine. Come home. It's fine, come home, we'll figure it out. I'm like, I'm not ready, I can't be a mom again. I'm an absolute wreck. Come home, we'll figure it out. And that's what I did. So by 19, I actually do have my son. Um, I have my son and he's, he's 19 right now, actually. Um, and he's, he's, he's one of the greatest blessings of my entire life. But, but then I have Ryan and Ryan's gonna fix me. Okay, I'm still there. Like now he's never going to leave me and he's going to give me a love that I need. And that's all I need to be happy in life is now I have this baby and he's going to keep me clean. I'm not going to go back and use drugs anymore. I'm not going to drink anymore. I'm going to get my life together because my son's going to fix me. My son was probably, I don't know, three months. (laughs) And my mom's raising him because I'm out using Shortly after my, use, my using, it started right where, it, I picked up right where I left off and it accelerated even quicker than I could even imagine. And so then my mom's raising my son. I'm bouncing from house to house. I'm working my brains out though because I'm only trying to keep my addiction alive. That's what I'm doing. I'm working 12 hours a day as a waitress or a bartender, whatever I can do. And every do- dollar that I have is going towards my drug addiction and others because when you run in those circles, you're paying for others too. And so... Um, but surely I can't, after that, I can't manage my own addiction anymore. I'm at a couple hundred dollars a day for Oxycontin. And, uh, and then, uh, so I start doing something I said I'd never do in my life. And that was, that's, like my psych, that, that's like my story of addiction. I'll do this, but not this. And then before you know it, I'm doing this, but not this. And that's where it started. And then I had a checkbook of my mom's. And I'm like, well, I'll just write some checks and cash them at my bank and then pay her right back. And I got friends around me going, oh, yeah, we'll help you. We'll give you the money. We'll pay her back. I'm like, okay, we got to get the money in her bank account before she knows it's gone. You know, otherwise, I'm in trouble. Days went by. And I think, I think over like a week period, a two-week period, $5,000 I stole from my mom for my addiction. So then she had to go. I took all of her savings. I wiped her savings out. And, she, and I'm not living where they're at this time. I'm bouncing from couch to couch. She's living, she's taking care of my son. And she had to call the police on me. 
And I remember the police coming to the door of the place that I'm staying at. They knock and they're like, Ashley, we got to talk to you. Your mom called and she said you do this. I'm like, that's a lie. It's a lie. She tells me I can use her checkbook. I'm just trying to like, I've never been in trouble before. I'm trying to lie my way out of it. And they're like, well, we need to figure this out. You need to have all the money back to her, you know, and sort this out, whatnot. Well, I never did. So it was only a couple days later. I'm going to leave to get my son to visit with him for that day. Um, and uh, I'm surrounded by all three streets of where I'm at in Norwalk. There's a cop on this side of the driveway. There's a cop on this side of Whittlesey and a cop on Buskey. And I was like, oh gosh, I'm not going anywhere. Like they've got me surrounded. <laughs> Never in my life have I thought like this is going to be where I'm sitting at and this is what I'm going to be experiencing. And sure enough, they got me. They arrested me for felony theft and forgery. And I was booked into the Huron County Jail. And I would love to say like that was my wake up call. Like, I can stop and be like, and then everything changed, and I learned my lesson, and I, and that's not it. I was released. I ended up going through the court process. I ended up being put on probation because I had never been in trouble before, and they were going to put me through counseling, and I had to do all of this other stuff. But over the next three years, my, my addiction only progressed, and I only got in more trouble. I violated probation. I don't even know how many times. I ended up in the Huron County Jail more times than I can count. 10-day stays, 20-day stays, 30-day stays, all because I'm testing positive for cocaine, I'm testing positive for crack, I'm testing positive to then eventually heroin. Because it didn't stay a pill addiction, eventually, again, everything progressed to where I'll do this but not this. I'll do this but not this. I'll do my pills, but I will never put a needle in my arm. And then the day came where I put a needle in my arm. (laughs) And I just remember watching, like, How did I get here? But I don't know how to get back. There's no getting back for me. I don't know how I got here, but I'm in so deep. I don't know how to get out of this. But what I do know is when I use, I don't feel. But, and it's filling something, but I just got to use more because I'm becoming more and more empty as this cycle goes. The more I use, the more empty I feel. So the more empty I feel, the more more I use, and I'm stuck in this cycle, and I can't see past it, and I can't get out of it. So my addiction just spiraled out of control. Multiple overdoses that I honestly, I'm amazed that I'm even here many days because I remember them like they were yesterday. Terrifying experiences of just like knowing I'm going, and I'm begging God to not let me go. So here I am, I'm a heroin addict. I have no custody of my son. They took my son from me, rightfully so. I have no home, I have no job, I have nothing. I've completely just, I feel like destroyed my life, jumping from relationship, jumping from drugs, jumping to alcohol, jumping, going to absolutely anything that would fill me. And I'm at the end of myself. I violate probation again. I know I'm going to jail. And I'm not doing this again. I'm not doing this again. I can't go to jail anymore. I'm just tired of this cycle. Because what I would always hear is, what's wrong with you, Ashley? What's wrong? Why can't you get clean for your son? Why can't you stop? Aren't you tired of going to jail? 
Aren't you scared you're gonna die? What's wrong with you? And I would think, I don't know. Like there's something fundamentally wrong with me because I'm trying and I fail. I don't know what's happening. So I got to the point, I'm like, I just wanna end it all. And I had attempted suicide because I knew I was going to jail. I had taken some pills, I had slipped my wrist and it's all kind of a blur that day. I remember though, driving to the hospital. My mom worked at Fisher Titus and I was standing, oh goodness, that time goes fast. I'm sorry. (laughs) I'm standing in front of Firelands Counseling and Recovery Services with police around me and there's my mom. And I just remember asking them with, to smoke a cigarette before they took me. And I just remember them handcuffing me and me standing in front of my mom. And I don't know if my mom even remembers this and just saying, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, I'm a disappointment. I'm sorry, I'm so broken. I'm sorry. They booked me into the Huron County Jail. I woke up three days later and didn't even realize how I got there. They had me up in observation because they didn't know what was wrong with me. I was so out of it. They didn't know if I was going to die. They didn't, and so they kept me up in observation. And I had no one running water, no mat, no nothing. I had no pants because they were afraid because I was suicidal. And I remember they, they just knocked on my cell and they said, Pew, they called me by my, my maiden name. And they said, you have a visitor. And I remember sitting on that concrete slab with like the weight of the world on my shoulders going, who would want to see me? I don't want to see myself. And God, why am I here? Because I don't want to be here anymore. I don't want to be on earth anymore because I can't do this. So they give me clothes and I go out to the visitation and it's all empty because I'm not in a pod for visitation. And there's my mom. There's my mom. And she's as pale as can be. She looks like she hasn't eaten. She hasn't slept in days. And I just looked at her and I'm like, what are you doing here? Why are you here? And she looked at me and she was like, I will never leave you. Like your father in heaven's never going to leave you. And it was like at that moment where I felt like Jesus invaded the Huron County Jail. Like I came face to face with Jesus through my mother. Eyes of love in my sinfulness, in my filth, in my brokenness, in my emptiness. She came to me and said, I'm here. I'm not leaving you and I love you. And it was at that moment where like my eyes were open to see who Jesus was, to see the love of God that chased down a broken heroin addicted person like myself. And I said, mom, I want help. Get me help. Please get me help. She went straight to my probation officer and she begged for them to give me, not to give me jail time, but please send me away somewhere. They agreed. Judge Ridge gave me Six months in an inpatient facility where I spent six months figuring out 
what is going on? Pulling back the layers, dealing with a lot of the mental health side of things. But oh my gosh, I got to meet some amazing people that would come. There's two older couple. They were in their 70s, 80s. They were, they were, they were, they were coming every single Sunday to take women to church. That's what they did. They would pack them in their car and they would take them to church. So I found these two and I'm like, I just clung to them. And eventually we're doing a Bible study in, 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 uh, in the treatment facility. And I'm just digging into the word of God. It just shifted my life. And I'm so thankful for that day that, that Jesus came through my mother and met me where I was at. I was still like the, the Samaritan woman. I was in unrepentant sin. <laughs> I was bouncing around trying to fill my life with all of these things and I couldn't fill it. I mean, that was what we do though, isn't it? We look at the world and we're like, what is going to fill me? What is going to make me happy? What is going to satisfy me? Right? And we're only left more empty where Jesus is like, I have the living water. I have it. Thirst no more. I have everything that you need. The gift of God, eternal life. This, this is all going to fade. And that's what I'm just so thankful for. And so I did. I came home. After six months of treatment, I completed my probation um, successfully. And <laughs> yeah, right? It was a challenge. <laughs> probation took me a long time. And uh, I was so thankful, my probation officer even, like I had to do AA and NA, um, those were requirements, part of my probation, but I recognized, like, I need Jesus. So I got my probation officer to approve Bible studies for my AAs and my NAs, you know? And so I got to bring that into my recovery, and then that helped open my, my, the eyes of my probation officer, was, which was really neat, because I'd get to share Jesus with her sometimes. And she would just kind of stare at me blankly, like, I'm not allowed to talk to you about these things. I'm like, I know you can, but I can. <laughs> And I would share Jesus with her. And it's just, it was really, really neat. And so now here I am. It'll be 15 years this April. 15 years. And it's unreal, but it seems like it's yesterday sometimes. And I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful that the Lord keeps that memory so close. Because I never want to forget, but it keeps me on my knees and it keeps me thankful for his grace and it keeps me doing what I do. So now what the Lord has blessed me with is it's amazing. I get, I get to work with people mental health, with mental health and addiction every single day. I feel like that's, that's what I'm here to do. Um, so I work for the Huron County Board of Mental Health and Addiction Services. And that's why I, I help people get into treatment. I help people get into detox. But I'm also very clear on my faith there. Um, and then these are amazing opportunities where I get to share what, what God has done and what God continues to do. I ended up getting custody of my son back. I got married. My husband and I just celebrated 10 years of marriage in August. He's a great man that just supports me and loves the Lord too. And I'm so thankful for that. <laughs> and we have... We have Three children together. We have, well, he's got two, and then I have my one, and they're 24, 23, and 19. And then some of you saw our four littles in here today. Those are actually my brother's kids. Um, we have custody of them for the fourth time in nine years. So pray for my brother, please, and his wife. They are seriously battling addiction. And that's where I think, you know, God has brought me so far. And 
I just pray to be a blessing to others through my, through, through my story. But if we can just real quickly again, shine the light back on scripture on who Jesus is. Because I can tell you all my story, and that is my story, but it's really God's story. It's, it's the story that he has written for my life. And if today is my last day of breathing, may he be praised. Because <laughs> I don't deserve the last 15. I didn't deserve the 30-something that I've been alive, to be honest. But it's because, like this woman who was sinful and who was just running her life into the ground. This man's going to fill her. This relationship's going to fill her. That's going to fill her. Where is this water that's going to fill me up? And Jesus says, stop. I'm going to meet you right where you're at, dead in your tracks. I'm going to stop you. I'm, gonna, I'm not going around Samaria. I'm going through. <laughs> I'm going right through and I'm coming straight to you for a woman that has no name right here. He's so good. He's so good. And he doesn't leave her that way. She leaves her water jug, what she came for, the, 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 the physical thing that she was needing, that she thought she needed. She left that because her spiritual need was filled. And she ran to the town to say, come, it's the Messiah, because he revealed, I am he. I am the Messiah. I am what you need. I have the, if your eyes would even see the gift of eternal life that God has for you and how you can be spiritually filled and no longer have to run to drugs, no longer have to run to alcohol, no longer have to run to relationships, no longer have to run to this addiction or that idol. I am he and I'll fill you. And we see that because she drops her water jug and she runs back to the town and she says, come and see. And they did they did and we see that they they came and what does it say it is no longer because of what you said that we believe for we have heard ourselves and we know this indeed is the savior of the world many Samaritans from that town believed in him we all have a testimony we all have a story I pray many of us do I know many of us do and if you don't have a story today I pray for you I pray for those of us, when you have received Jesus as Lord, that we have a story that we can run into our towns, like you were sharing earlier, in our grocery stores, in our, in our, um, at the gas station. May God, may our eyes be open to see, to see what's in front of us, to see those opportunities, to see those divine appointments, to share our story. Where did God meet us when we least deserved it? Where did he meet us and what did he save us from and shining the light of Christ to those around us? I pray that we do that. And I pray if there's some of you that don't know Jesus today, that your eyes are open to see that your God loves you. He loves you and he's chasing you down and you're not here on accident. This is not an accident. He's speaking right to you, right to you because he loves you and he wants a relationship with you. So that is all I have today. And I just want to thank you all for your time. I thank you for this opportunity. And I thank you that you've allowed me to share our amazing God with you all.